this week on Dig Me Out. Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. This week, another one of our polls, Jay. This is the poll from May to pick our June review. June has begun. It's hot out. Real hot. I think the sun's a little Indeed. too close. <laughs> it's that time. I don't feel like June has always been this hot. I feel like July and August is when it starts to scorch. And this week, we're looking at 90s yep. in, in Ohio. Yep. I don't like that. Not one bit. What I do like, Jay, is our polls when we get a lot of votes. This one got a lot of votes, but most of them went to just one record. It was a diverse yeah. poll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think uh, the, this band that won is the only band I'd ever heard of on the, in the poll. It was a lot of really what I felt was pretty obscure stuff. So, Yeah, so for this particular poll, as we always do, we had eight Album suggested over at digmeoutpodcast.com. You go to the suggestion box, you throw your suggestion in here or in there, and it goes into our magic sorting hat. And the hat chooses which uh, poll these records will go into. Uh, that's copyright me right now, 2020, the idea of a sorting hat. At, uh... <laughs> So for this particular poll, Jay, I, mo like you said, most of these I never even heard of in terms yeah. of the band. So that was a great poll in terms of it being really diverse. But also there was one band that you and I both recognized, and that just crushed the rest of the field. So these, yeah. are the, these were the picks. And we need to thank the following folks who, who made suggestions. Eric Peterson, Tom Hicks, Lee, Rose Severe. Alex Loring, Wayne Bosch or Bosch, Edward Learman, and Gary Moran. These were the, these were the ones that did not win. Byron's, the alien, the rabbit, and the monkey. I don't even know how to. Yusk, Bathia, voice of the Voyager. That, that uh, Byron album. Like I could only find one um, file of the album art, and it was super tiny. Like. That tells me usually an album is very obscure if you can't find another copy of the album art. And yeah, the only copy you can find is like 100 by 100 pixels. <laughs> nice. Um, blood on the Saddle, New Blood with three votes tied with Thin White Rope, The Ruby Sea. Four, four votes for Hardship Post, Somebody Spoke. Seven votes to oh i'm sorry one vote for the lowest of the low shakespeare my butt come on <laughs> uh when i was putting that one in i was like wait is the band shakespeare my butt or is the band lowest low 
good that's a good question and i wasn't sure mm-hmm. now jay right. this is the one that people thought i was going to have a horrific time pronouncing yeah but i looked it. it up gorky's zygotic monkey is how you pronounce it all right Spanish dance troupe. They got seven votes. Our winner, the runaway winner, 12 votes. So, so many more votes than, than nobody else is in double digits. The Smoking Popes, born to quit. Jay? Yes. That was the pick by none other than Andrew O.C. Here's the funny part. Andrew O.C. was just on. Right. He was going to pick this album for his pick. But then it, it ended up getting into the poll, and it was a head. And I was like, "Look, dude, it's, it looks like it's going to win. Do you do you still yeah. want to do this?" And he's like, "No, we'll do something else." So we were going to do this record one way or another. It was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And quite honestly, uh, it's not the first time it's been brought up. I believe when we talked about pop punk in the '90s, that this album came up, and it probably came up other times as well. So Did it come up. Probably in our Chicago roundtable, didn't Chicago it? Chicago roundtable, yep. I think so. Were you familiar with the Smoking Popes, Jay? Um, I can't say that I ever listened to them. I definitely knew the band name. I knew the album art. Um, you knew the single? Just from hearing it? I don't know if I knew the single. From this record? Yeah. No. Ne- need You Around? Uh-uh. Really? Because it was in Clueless. Okay. It's on the soundtrack and it's in the movie. So I very much remember the single. We played the heck out of it at uh, WFAL, the college radio station Jason and I both DJed at in the 1990s. Um, I don't think it was a heavy rotation single. I want to say it was like a medium rotation single, but it was, I remember playing it for quite a while. I don't remember any other songs being played. Uh, I know Rubella was also a single, but I don't think we played it at the station. So let's get into some of the comments from the folks who posted a Patreon. Eric Peterson said, I had to pick the Thin White Rope because I suggested it. They were a strange band in that they had their toes in a few worlds. SoCal Punk World, the Paisley Underground, the Desert Scene, and the Alt Country World. They seem to be something else. For fans of whatever genre and maybe ahead of their time, but I'm also a fan of Blood on the Saddle, mainly 80s stuff, but they were an important part of the mix of punk punk and country that led to the alt-country scene in the 90s. David Haverland said, while I love the Smoking Popes, the hardship posts need to get some attention. Great Canadian band with excellent, catchy songs. They likely won't win, but please give them a listen. Thomas Crime says, this was down to the Smoking Popes, hardship post, and Gorky's zygotic monkey in the end i went with gorky because sonically the album just grabbed my attention it may slow down just a bit in the middle but at 15 songs of 40 minutes there's plenty to enjoy plus the album track was covered by of montreal and has a bit of nostalgia for me i would like to see hardship post covered in another episode though perhaps richard waterman says since i live in wales i should vote for gorky's zygotic monkey but i Going for the Hardship Post. I had never heard of them before, so it was another pleasant surprise brought to me by Dig Me Out. Thanks to Dig Me Out, I have discovered more Canadian bands that I really like now. Well, there you go. First, we cracked the Australian market, Jay. Now we are cracking open Canada. (laughs) We're like the McDonald's of 90s indie rock podcasts. 
we're just we're just spreading our brand around the country, around the world. Right. Uh, Whitney Biller says hardship post gets my vote. Jeremy Amend saw the smoking popes smoking popes finally when they opened for the Descendants last year. It's really the only band I recognize on the list. Guess I'm getting old. Nobody, if you're getting old, because these aren't new bands. It's not like, right. you know, it's not like uh, these are anybody well, maybe, put a record last year. Maybe he's forgetting. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's it's yes, it is because of your dementia. That's <laughs> sorry, Jimmy. Uh, Steve Brzezinski said, as soon as I saw that Born to Quit was in this month's poll, I knew it would be a slam dunk. The Popes took equal parts from Moans and the Smiths. And what came out the other side is damn near perfect record. Sure, it's formulaic to a degree, but honestly, at 10 songs at 28 minutes, how can you go wrong? I'm hard-pressed to imagine this not scoring anything other than a worthy album. Would you look at that? Once again, the leader of the poll doesn't have the comments to back it up. Is it a dig-me-out conspiracy? (laughs) Andrew O.C., the person who suggested it, says... Smoking Pups. Smoking Popes are such an amazing band. My wife and I's first dance at our wedding is a, was to a Smoking Pope song, which is uh, I know I know you love me, which I believe is on the next record. Um, is it Destination Nowhere? Is that the name of the album? Destination Failure. Destination Failure. Thank you. Uh, Patrick Testa said, "Let's go with Gorkies." I really dig that band. Hey Richard, should we tell Tim how to pronounce the band's name, or should we just just in- just to joy the array of attempts that are sure to ensue. Ha! I looked it up on their Wikipedia page, and it gives an exact explanation of what the words are and how to pronounce them. I, I saw that one coming a mile away, guys. Mike Bond, going with Gorky's Zygotic Monkey. I remember them getting played loads by John Peel back in the early to mid-90s and always really enjoyed their psychedelic folk sound. Plus, as already mentioned, it should be entertaining to hear Tim pronunci- Tim's pronunciation <laughs> test with this one. You have all been defeated. I did it perfectly. That's what happens when you study ahead. You know, it'd be awesome if, if somebody went in and edited the uh, Wikipedia <laughs> right before this, the show, knowing that, that you'd go great. there. Why does he keep saying monkey? Because it says so. It says so on their page. It says Gorky's came from the word gawky. Lawrence, one of the members, says that Gork was a school slang for a dimwit. Zygotic was hijacked from GCSE biology. It refers to the state of being like a zygote, a fertilized egg cell. Monkey is a spelling of the word monkey using Welsh spelling rules. Rather than a direct Welsh translation, it is pronounced like monkey. If somebody went in there and edited that, good on them. You you guys win. <laughs> so Born to Quit was released originally on the label Johan's Face, which is a small label. When you look them up, the only other band that I recognized is Alkaline Trio. I did not recognize a single other name from what they released. So they put out the record. They ended up getting asked to open on tour for um well you mentioned they're from lake in the hills illinois but they're you know mentioned as being from chicago um it's two brothers josh caterer and who's the lead singer guitarist and then matt caterer 
And on this record, Matt Caterer plays bass guitar, and then Eli Caterer plays guitar. He was not an original member, Eli Caterer. He joined later. So it's three brothers, Josh, Eli, and Matt. And and then on drums is Mike Thalumi. It was recorded with Phil Phil Bonnet, who recorded their first record. Um, And then, like I mentioned, was on Johan's face. The band... uh, When was the tour? So they go out, they, they... you know, they put out their first record, which is called Get Fired. It's on that label. And prior to that, they had been in a band together, um, the three brothers called Speed Stick. And they grew up, so this is an interesting aspect. They grew up uh, listening to crooners, thanks to their parents. Their parents had like Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra records around. So they were listening to that along with like Mel Torme and other stuff. And then they got into the the Ramones and punk rock. So that's where, if you're wondering where the sort of their take comes from, uh, they draw a direct line back to those, those crooners of the 1950s and sixties. So in 94, after get fired was released, green day asks them to open. And, so they get a lot of attention from that. They record Born to Quit. They release it on the indie label. And then based on them opening for Green Day and people seeing them, like label scouts, they get signed to Capitol Records who re-release the record and then putting them on a, they put them on a tour with Tripping Daisy at that time who had, you know, they had a big single out in the mid-90s. Um, what was it? I Got a Girl? Is that the single that was the big one from... Tripping Daisy. Uh, I have to take your word for it. Okay. So then, when the uh, need to need you around, which was the single off of that album, was added to the Clueless soundtrack, they ended up getting the single of the week in New New Music Express. So they ended up touring England and Scotland with uh, Jawbreaker, and. The album did okay, but didn't meet Capitol's expectations. So they came back, got Jerry Finn, the well-known producer who had worked just just previously worked with Green Day and Rancid, and he started working with them on their next record. And then they they went out on tour with the Figs and Jimmy Eat World, two bands that we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah, and then they kept recording, kept recording. in In '97, they took the next record to the Label, guess what the label said? I don't hear a single. Exactly. <laughs> so they kept writing, and you know, they, and they took the diplomatic approach and said, "Okay, well, we're going to keep writing." And they kept writing and kept writing, and they finally wrote, "I know you love me," and the label said, "Yeah, that could be a hit," and then fired their A and R guy, and the album got shelved. So finally, uh. <laughs> The album comes out after all these delays, and um, they stayed together for a little while after that. Um, They put out an album in 2003, The Party's Over, but after touring, and which was a covers album to basically fulfill their contract with Capitol, Josh Caterer became heavily involved in Christianity and ended up 
leaving the band and and they would reunite occasionally to play shows and then they ended up fully reuniting in 2008 and then they've put out albums in 2008, 2010, 2011 and 2018. But uh there was a a period when he was not doing music. So and they've also released some EPs in there as well. So, but they have been a consistent band now for looks like a de- about a decade. Continue to put out music, like I mentioned. You know, uh, Into the Agony came out in 2018. They've had a number of EP singles, what have you. So, let's talk about the record, Jay. Born to Quit. Since you were not familiar at all with Smoking Popes, tell me one thing you liked about the record. Well, I, I came in with some preconceptions that um, they were going to be pop punk in some way. I was not expecting the vocal, which was a pleasant surprise. So, and, and I felt like way more pop than punk too. Um, other than some, some drum beats here and there that are a little, you know, double time feeling um, and kind of have that punk skip to them. I don't hear a lot of punk on here. I, I hear mostly really almost a uh, traditional kind of Beatles esque, you know, pop rock songs mm-hmm. with, you know, heavy guitars, pretty, pretty distorted, big guitar sound. You know, the drumming is, is a fairly aggressive. You've got some really cool drum, um, guitar solos and leads too, which I wasn't expecting. And then you've got this vocal on top that is just unlike any other band with, that would even be in this space. Yeah. You hear some Morrissey. I can also hear some like Paul McCartney. I can hear some, um, smithereens, mm-hmm. um, here and there. I mean, he's just, He's singing from his chest and he's got some vibrato, which is what gives it that yeah. crooner, I guess, label. But I would say this band is more, to me, almost more like Weezer or maybe Smithereens than a lot of the other bands that you mentioned that they toured with and like Green Day or even Jawbreaker or any, anything like that. Like there's just a much, it's just a really great sense of melody and songwriting. I, I did not expect that coming into this record. You know, a song like Rubella is like mind blowing how efficient that song is. Mm-hmm. Um, under 30 seconds, you're into the chorus. Actually, you you hear two choruses within the first 40 seconds. <laughs> it's just like boom, 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 boom. You're at the bridge at 50 seconds. You're at the guitar solo at one minute. It's like, holy shit. It doesn't feel like rushed, you know, it just it's like uh, well edited is what it feels. Oh, yeah. Like they just sat down. We're like, okay, don't need this part. Don't need this part. Don't need this part. And just, you know, fire it up. So I was really impressed with the sound, the concept. It stays consistent through the whole record, although there there is some exploration here and there, um, bringing in some acoustics, bringing the tempos down a little bit. But. 
you know, they don't lose the script. It, it, it stays, you know, kind of within the wheelhouse um, that you hear on the first couple of songs. So I just really enjoyed, you know, a fairly sophisticated songwriting and melodic approach with very straightforward guitars, very straightforward drums and a vocal that is unique, emotive. Um, I think it goes with the lover's lament kind of theme as some Mm -hmm. of these lyrics too, in a way that I think other voices, like if he had more of a whiny voice, I think some of these lyrics would be awful, but because of the way he sings, it brings this like sophistication to the lyrics that are relatively simple and straightforward. Yeah. Those are some of the things I liked. I was not expecting this. Yeah. I remember that the tag when need you around came out was, well, it's a punk band, but the dude sings like Morrissey on top of it. And so I didn't check yeah. him out. Cause I was like, well, this is clearly like just sort of like a, a gag, yeah. you know, this is this is like Green Jelly or some band that's just doing this as a lark. But when you actually listen to the record, the whole the whole record and you recognize, especially now, I can hear the phrasings and the various ways that he incorporates different styles. When you listen to the chorus of Need You Around, that is 100 percent Frank Sinatra. That crazy as it sounds like that's so Rat Pack. Yeah, and it's it's astounding that the, he's able to layer that so seamlessly on top of what is a pop rock bed of music. I mean, that's to me that song to me is th- them at their most Ramones in terms of music, and it and him at his most crooner. Whereas you mentioned it, like "Misses You and Me" sounds is very much in like that Smithereens oh. style. There's even there's some Elvis Costello sounding vocals here when you know Elvis Costello is known for that like snotty vocal on some of his earlier stuff but he turned into a crooner on a lot of his you know later 80s stuff he tackled a lot of different sounds with country and and R&B and got into singing you know with Burt Bacharach and stuff like that so I could definitely hear where where Elvis Costello is an influence on this but you're right like I mean if you take the the last song is five minutes. This is a 29-minute record, which means the first nine songs are 24 minutes. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> There's one song over three minutes in the first nine songs. They absolutely know how to structure these where they can, like you said, get to the first chorus in under 30 seconds. And they still have time for some really cool guitar solos here and there that maybe last only 10 seconds but there's some there's some cool stuff that goes on i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that these three brothers played together for 15 years basically from when they were like little little kids 
they were listening to music together and then they were also like learning instruments together so there is a natural sort of understanding of what each person is doing so it's it sounds really seamless when you hear like the the way that the guitar plays off of uh his vocal and need you around like those those leads that he's doing sound yeah. perfectly matched yeah there's a lot of um use of dynamics that are like pauses where mhm the vocal, the guitar and drums will pause, and so the vocal, like they're all together on this, on the dynamics, and it happens a lot. It's almost like the signature thing of, I really like work through these, and craft them to the point where it's these little subtle things they're doing here and there that um, really level up the material and the performance to just has that extra layer of craft on it that that you, you know, distinguishes it from another guitar, um, garage band or another punk band. Um, and I think overall just puts a polish on the songs that, that they need. Yeah. Well, another example of, you know, if you, again, if you go with them with the preconceived notion that this is just somebody singing like Morrissey, you play them a song like my lucky day, which again is two minutes. It's two Oh six. There's even a guitar solo in there at two Oh six. And, that sounds way more in like the power pop of uh, of the eighties in yeah, terms it, of the Smithereens and those kind of bands. And it's if you told me they were covering like uh, maybe an early Wings song, I would totally believe. Oh it. yeah, that <laughs> yes, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I can hear that. Yeah, it's a very Paul McCartney esque melody. The only one that really, you know, looking back at it now, I had need to need need you around, and a lot of people had that wrong that it's it's not Morrissey, it's it's Sinatra and it's Tony Bennett. Yep. Midnight Moon is one of the few where I go, oh okay, but I, he doesn't really cite Morrissey as an influence. But what's funny is that Morrissey actually did like take them out on tour, and okay. um, said that he thought they were adorable. Now, this is pre-troublesome Morrissey. We're talking about like 2000. Yeah. Um, right. But had very nice things to say, which you would think like, oh, if this band of, you know, snotty kids from the Midwest are making music that sounds like me, I might have like a, an issue with it. But he actually dug it, which I was I would have been shocked to, you know, to know that at the time. Um, but I don't. What's ironic is like now going back to it, I'm like, I don't really hear the Morrissey all that much other than that they're in the same sort of range. Yeah, that that seems like such a lazy. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it feels a little lazy. Like, yeah. I mean, Glenn Danzig sings like this, you know, um, it's true. This isn't like, yeah, not a lot of people did it over guitars because it's hard to do. Right. I mean, you're singing a chest a chest voice that's a deeper register. So to get that to come over top of guitars that tend to be in the same range, it's not easy to do. 
Um, so just, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, Morrissey did it most prominently, probably from a pop perspective. But. Yeah. One other thing that I really liked as far as Josh Cater's vocals is in Gotta Know Right Now, when he hits that chorus and he like kind of yells it a little bit. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. That is perfect. Yeah. Because he lets his voice break just a little bit and it just adds that layer of emotion to that song that, you know, you could easily soften that and sing it much cleaner but the fact that he digs in and lets his voice break a little bit just makes it that much better goes with the lyric too yes a nice way to deliver the right now me wonders if this there seems to be a a thread i mean i know a lot of these songs are about girlfriends and 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 various stages and i'm wondering if there's some if there's an intentional thread throughout this record or if they're just a collection of songs it almost feels like they were written as a batch together for a a um not a concept per se but just there's a lot of lamenting <laughs> on this record right. But I think you nailed it with the early Beatles as, you know, the, 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 the amped up, you know, Buddy Holly influenced old school rock and roll, very, very um, stripped down and, and using the four piece to its maximum ability in terms of dynamics and everybody, you know, coming up with their interesting parts that's to me like where this band sits like right right in that early rock and roll with obviously updated production yeah. but we could talk about what didn't work for us but i don't have a lot <laughs> that didn't work for me yeah um it's it's just so tight and enjoyable there's not a there's not like a clunker in there for me i don't know were there any songs that didn't sit well with you um, on the shoulder, I thought was not them at their best. You know, it's kind of, it almost turns into an instrumental. It's long. Um, the intro section is lumbering. I I, I thought that was, um, not, they, they don't go out on the strongest song. Um, just broke up. It's okay. It feels, a. It, it's funny. It's like that song is me. Like when they're just a little too generic, um or safe and you can kind of hear the difference between that and the rest of the album where you know they're they've found some little details or things you know to bring to the song that differentiate it and that one just feels a little like it's the middle of the record you know it just feels like um an album track but other than that i mean i don't have a whole lot to uh to critique about the rest of them the, the rest of the tracks are pretty strong. It's just fun. 
it's a fun yeah. record that goes by really quick and you're you're right the last song is not uh their best moment but it is the last song and i think if it was just shorter and they just tightened it up on the front and the back end that style would have worked like doing that kind of slow approach um i wonder if maybe they if they just had it edited it would have fit better with the rest of the material yeah um sonically this is it's 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 okay that would be my only other critique would be um it's just missing some low end you know i've listened to it um the cd quality version you know with my my headphone set up that you know is a pretty good judge and it's just missing some low end oomph um that's why i was kind of curious to hear that the video version of uh need you around because it had a little bit more punch um it just tends to be a little uh brittle on the on the high end side so i just wish it was maybe if they could remaster it it probably would help um it don't it don't you can kind of tell that this was uh it sounds like recorded on a independent budget and then released on a major as opposed to you know recorded on a major budget Mm -hmm. um it's not terrible it's just you know, could just use a little bit of a, a polish and a and a remaster to really help it. It did get it did get re-released on vinyl with bonus tracks because quite frankly it's twenty nine minutes. You can fit more songs onto the vinyl. Right. So there were two unreleased songs. Uh in twenty thirteen, Side One Dummy put out um I don't know if it was remastered, but I'm I'm looking to see if the uh I think it was because I'm looking at where the original was mastered and then where the new stuff was. So I think they gave it a new mastering. I would assume so only because there was no vinyl release originally, which means they mastered it for a CD. So I would uh, yeah. think that they'd have to remaster to do the vinyl release if you're going to do a good job. Yeah, definitely. Did you notice uh can't help the teardrops um, in particular, and then Adina as well. Those songs sound different to me. Like when I got, like if you just A B between those songs and the rest of the album, it's they almost sound like they were recorded at a different studio or something. Like it's very, his voice is a lot more present. Um, it's almost boomy. The guitars are a little bit thinner sounding. Um, they're using acoustics too, but. Maybe that's it. The drums even sound a little bit different. I don't know. The, those last three songs on the record almost make me think that uh, maybe we're different sessions or something. I'm not sure. It's It would not surprise me if it were different sessions. They were all recorded at the same studio, but because the band was touring at this time, I wonder if they split the sessions up and some of them were done you know, at, at a different period based on when their touring schedule was so like you know they couldn't they couldn't quite get all 10 songs done yeah or whatever however many they rec- ended up recording plus the stuff that was later released so there's there's nothing in there's no information on either discogs or the wikipedia page as to whether or not they were you know what the what the recording schedule sure. was like 
again, I mean, this was an indie band at the time recording with, you know, at a, at a small studio. Yeah. In Hoffman Estates, Illinois. <laughs> so, right. you know, not exactly. Uh, I, I don't know who else recorded there. I'd be I'd be curious to know. It's like there's not even a link to it in terms of where they recorded. I'm trying to f- see what else the producer did. I don't recognize like any of the other bands other than Screeching Weasel. So a lot looks like a lot of like local stuff. Yep. So, you know, when you're when you're going down that road, there's if there's opportunity to record more than once, you probably are going to get a different setup and then things can sound different. Yeah, and I sampled the second record. It definitely sounds just better engineered and produced. Well, this is the second. You You mean the third record, Destination Failure? Like, there's more separation. You can hear the bass player. Like, it just sounds like an overall better engineered record. Yeah, and that was recorded with... Yeah, that was Jerry Finn, you mentioned earlier. So Jerry Finn, obviously, is going to bring a lot more to the table with his experience. Especially after just coming off of working with you know, I think it was Green Day and, and Rancid that were mentioned earlier. Did so, you uh did you listen to any of the other uh sample their catalog at all? I sampled the single for Destination Failure because they shot the video in one take. I know you love me is the name yep. of the song. So I wanted to see what the video looked like in comparison to Need You Around. But other than that, no. Did you? Uh, I just did a quick run through just to hear what the different records kind of sonically were like. And it, it struck me a little bit that they, on some of the um, later material, it isn't, they kind of lose the sound a little bit. Hmm. Um, it sounds a little bit more, I don't know, his just vocal style seems a little bit more toned down, less croonery. And I kind of missed that. I'd have to dig in deeper, but it just didn't, it, it at a glance, didn't sound like, oh, yeah, they picked up with that sound. It sort of, he's singing in some different voices and different tones. Interesting. So this did have one fairly successful single. Need You Around made its number 35 on the, I guess, the modern rock charts. I think that was the charts that, it, no, sorry, number third. Yeah, 35 on the modern rock charts. The album made it to number 37 on the Billboard Top heat seekers charts but they didn't sell a, a huge amount of this record there are a ton of great songs but i would imagine you know this is a, it's still jarring in a certain sense his vocal kind of t- throws you for a loop the first time you hear it i gotta imagine like you know 1994 i don't know that people were ready to hear frank sinatra over the you know, it's like Frank Sinatra stepped on a stage with the Ramones and Joey Ramone was like, here, you sing a song. Yeah. <laughs> so I can understand why it didn't necessarily connect with everyone in the same way that, you know, at the same time, Green Day and Rancid, The Offspring, those punk bands, pop punk, whatever you want to call them, were doing better. And then, you know, on the other side, you've got Weezer with the Blue Album, who are doing this pop, but in a much more... I guess, uh, traditional way in comparison. So it helps to have Rick Ocasek also be producing a record in that sense as well. 
is made for radio essentially. Yeah. I also go back to my like quirky lyric uh, theory too, because you know Buddy Holly and Sweater Song, like mm-hmm. lyrically, there's it has that those lines or even song titles that are just you know no, notable, uh, almost novelty esque. Um, yep, I think this band lacks that. I mean, these songs are fairly lyrically are you know pretty pretty conventional um so something like that probably would have helped this band you know cut through for whatever reason (laughs) the 90s loved like 90s radio loved uh songs with with lyrics like that where it's like memorable words or things that are familiar or clever whatever yes cleverness or or nostalgia built in yeah so were the album Better EP, decent single. Where do you land? Worthy album. And so, so nice uh, how concise and sharp it is. Yep. Um, really appreciated that. Yeah, not, not a whole lot here to complain about. Um, like I said, even the material that, um, I, th- I think so much of it sets a high, such a high bar that even the stuff that, the two songs I mentioned that don't quite meet it are still still pretty good. So, yeah, worthy album for me. Right there with you. Worthy album. Thanks to Andrew O.C. for suggesting this. Uh, we would have gotten to it one way or another. So, thanks. And thanks to everybody who voted, everybody who commented over at Patreon. Greatly, appre- greatly appreciate the support of our patrons, if you would like to be a patron, as we mentioned, DMO Union or digmeoutunion.com. That's where you go to join us. If you'd like to suggest an album, digmeoutpodcast.com. You go there, you can suggest an album. You can also sign up for our box newsletter. You can also sign up for our box newsletter delivered to you every week. Updates on new releases, one minute reviews. You get all the recent happenings at Dig Me Out episodes, 80s episodes, that kind of stuff. It's usually a pretty good head up on what we're voting on at the time because yep. every week that we're voting on something for it's true for future episodes. Just did the votes on our June 80s episode and our June roundtable. So those will be uh, coming up shortly. And also, if you like what you heard, Apple Podcasts, leave us some... Uh, you know, positive feedback. We had some nice bumps from our Muse episode over in the UK. We jumped almost a hundred point, a hundred spots, which is nuts. Like a rocket ship. Yeah, into the top uh, thirty in the UK in music discussion. So, watch out, EDM podcasts. <laughs> We're coming I think, for you. I think now that they have the uh, the music uh, commentary genre. We're out of the EDM world. I'd have to see. Oh, we are. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, we're. I mean, we're in the music category too, and that's where you just get obliterated by EDM. But now they have a music commentary category, so we have a fighting chance to maybe you know crack the top (laughs) twenty. We should suggest a '90s music or or by decade. So we so we will (laughs) work over the '90s so that we can dominate that category. I did think. Yeah. All right. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Hey.